Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shooting the Shizad. This week is a really special week. Not only are we all over the globe yet again, I myself, Dylan, I am over here in Mother Russia on the Revolution Best Tour of 2019. It's going really good. We're on the Saturday now at this really cool uh moto festival thing in the middle of the forest so it's pretty good and i got right now on skype the rebel himself star buccarino how are you doing over there and uh, you're in helsinki or espo i guess or how are you no I'm, a- I'm actually at my dad's place right now because my mom passed away at the end of last year so my dad is a widower and uh you gotta you gotta see your parents every once in a while i'll tell you that you know you only got one set of parents in this life and and, uh, well, I'm up here just visiting my dad this weekend. Oh, that's really nice. I mean, uh, how's your dad doing? Uh, he's hanging in there. He's, he's pretty good. Uh, he just had a hip operation a couple of years ago. Uh, he's got a, he's got a, a prosthesis, prosthetic hip. Uh, the first one he got in, was it 1990 in Toronto? Because he was in a very oh, yeah. serious a forestry accident when he was 24 years of age in uh, Orivesi, Finland. And uh, in that accident, all of the bones on the, I believe it was the right side of his body, uh, from the clavicle all the way down to the hip, were completely crushed. And Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was actually very close to dying from internal bleeding in the middle of a snowbank with this uh, forestry tractor turned on top of him. And his brother was trapped under, underneath with him also, but his, nothing happened to his brother. It's funny, but my dad was like, just half of his body was destroyed. Uh, wow, anyway, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but to make a long story short, uh, he finally had to get his hip replaced in Toronto in 1990, because the thing is that uh, the degeneration from even, even, even though he healed up back in the day, but uh, you know, to whatever degree that he could heal up, but still the, uh, he had rheumatism and, and whatnot because of all the, the, the damage done to his body. And then uh, the hip got so bad that he had to get it uh, replaced. And anyway, so then finally two years ago, uh, the cup in the, the, the hip joint had actually worn out to the point where he fell a couple of times in the winter, one time outside, out on the ice, and then another time in the sauna. And uh, wow. it, the, the hip came out of joint both times. And he said it was the, the, the worst pain that uh, he could imagine. Anyway, so he was finally, he had to get a, a second hip replacement at the age of 79, I believe it was, when he, was, uh, when he got that, that hip replaced. And now he's 81. So anyway. Wow, yeah, well. So, yeah. I don't know where I was getting to this with this with story, but nonetheless, I was getting to something. But uh, yeah, so otherwise, he's doing all right. And uh, he, I think that he just needs to hit the gym more because I, I almost got him into the gym for a while uh, when my mom was still alive right at the end. But um, then it's just he, he, he kind of just didn't have the heart for it, I think, at his age. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it sounds like he's a... Definitely a tough guy to to live with that kind of injury and uh, to be able to recover from that kind of injury, even to the, to the degree that you'd be alive. I mean, that, that sounds like the toughness is running deep in the in the family there for you. So 
I mean, good, good on him that he's that he's still going strong and that he can actually go through a surgery like that. Because I know a lot of people at that age, usually surgery is kind of the last thing you want to do. Yeah, well, the thing is, he had no choice. You know, because right. the thing is, as long as long as you still got some life ahead of you, it's like how are you going to live every single day of your life from that point forward? And that's really the question from day to day. So mm-hmm. you you want to have as much of a a quality of life as possible. And that meant that he had to get his hip replaced. Well, anyway, so, so yeah, he's, he's still, uh, he's up and about and, uh, still busy, which is good. He's keeping himself busy. And, uh, anyway, I'm, so I'm up here this weekend and just visiting and I'll be heading back home tomorrow night. All right. And we got a really special guest as well on the show today. We got, uh, Lanny Poffo, the genius back there in the WWF era. And, uh, he's going to, tell us some good stuff i mean uh i'm actually really excited to chat with him see what he's got to say one of the most well-spoken men in the wrestling industry i'll tell you the thing is that when vince mcmahon gave him that gimmick the 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 genius back in the day i i think you know when he read his poems and things like that on the microphone uh i that was because of the fact that he his voice carried so well he's really well spoken and um yeah of course, we're talking about the brother of the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the Pawful family. I mean, his family has a long lineage in the wrestling business. We just had on this podcast a few weeks ago, uh, Rip Rogers, who's one of the top yeah. Uh, yeah, coaches in the wrestling business nowadays in OVW and whatnot. Uh, now, Rip was trained by the Pawfuls. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and the thing is that uh, now we have Lanny. He's the only sole survivor of that family. His his parents have passed away, and and, and unfortunately, also Randy Savage passed away uh, several years ago. And uh, but we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about with Lanny. He's seen a lot of decades in the business. Lanny's sixty-five years old now. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And and he's it seen seems a lot to be of these. Still in it. That's it. He's still wrestling a few dates here and there, much like um, Tito Santana, who's just uh, around. Yeah. His- same age i think tito's about a year older one or two years older than him anyway th- that every once in a while these guys are still lacing up the boots lanny gave me a call there uh this past sunday and um and and we chatted for about a half an hour there we had a really good chat and and we'll be touching on some of the stuff that uh, we already spoke about at that point but um on this podcast we'll be going through a lot of good stuff i think and the thing is that i think lanny's got a lot of perspective on the wrestling business because he's seen so many decades of it and that's right yeah i mean uh, everything from like just being a poffo you know this kind of lineage and uh just one of these well-known families like the hearts and the von erics and all that kind of thing so i mean uh yeah if anybody knows about the wrestling business over these years and how it's kind of developed and uh, evolved and changed for the worse and for the better it's definitely him that's for sure so can't wait to can't wait to chat with him about all those kind of things. But uh, but uh, we had a unfortunate, I guess, passing uh, in the the legendary wrestling community this uh, this week. I believe it was that Harley Race has uh, left us. Did you yeah. uh, you know the uh, that was? I mean, I know that he's a. Uh, was up there in the age and, you know, I guess wasn't doing the, the greatest health wise or whatnot, but it's always sad to hear when somebody, well, when anybody 
goes, especially when they're they mean so much to to this business. It's it's really it's sad, but then in a, in a lot of ways it it kind of forces people to reflect on the that legacy and relive those moments and things, and and hopefully they continue to like relive some or all of Harley Race's best moments because there's a hell of a lot. I don't know. Did he influence you uh, much when you were starting out? No, he didn't really. Uh, I, I think that like my the biggest influence in my era growing up was actually Ric Flair. But uh, that oh, said, yeah. Ric Flair said that the toughest man in the business, the toughest man in all the wrestling industry, was Harley Race. And Harley died. Yeah, it was uh, this first the first of um, of August now at the age of seventy six. He had a lot of health complications right. towards the end. And, uh, yeah, and Harley, Harley is no more, but, um, the, the one thing about Harley race, I was wrestling in Japan in 2011. And I remember that, uh, one of the Japanese longtime wrestling fans, uh, who's now a doctor for new Japan pro wrestling. His name is, uh, Hiroaki Terasaki. And he said to me after this match that I had with, uh, this guy called Ishikawa, uh, at, uh, Koraku and Hall. It was in 2011, the summer, I believe, or it was the early spring. But anyway, he said to me that uh, your style reminds me of Harley Race. Ah. And, and, and the thing is, if you know what Harley Race's contribution to the Japanese wrestling scene and uh, the esteem, the high esteem that they hold him in, that's mighty high. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So that's very that true. Way, so in that way, you know, I was very, uh, str- you know, struck by his words. And I thought that, well, I must be doing something right, which is, uh, you know, I, it could be a lot worse than that. You know what I mean? That's true. I mean, uh, I think, well, all those Japanese wrestling companies, New Japan and All Japan, I think, and they were pretty quick to uh, pay their respects to Harley Race, like really quickly, because I think it, it must have been, you know, with that kind of uh, influence that he had over there with the, the gaijin or American kind of style, bringing it there and in a lot of ways uh, making it really famous. I think, uh, you know, you have to pay your respects to somebody like that. He is definitely one of the greats. I mean, I didn't get into his work until uh, quite a bit later, but that was when I became more of like a not his historian. But when I started to like kind of look into the history of the business and you know, who did my idols uh, idolize in that way? And I know uh, Bret Hart, I know he was a big fan of Harley Race. And, you know, this just kind of, he came from that tough guy era, I guess, where, yeah. you know, you didn't necessarily have to have the body in terms of like Alex Luke or Scott Steiner. You know, it was uh, all about, it was all about that attitude, you know, convincing people that, you just don't want to mess with that guy. And he, he definitely, for me, personified that. You could see a picture of the guy and just be like, oh, crap, I don't want to. I want to be on his good side for sure. Yeah, that's. I remember there's a story in Dynamite Kids' book, Pure Dynamite, where Harley was uh, riding in the car. Was I think he was driving, actually. And uh, Dynamite was in the back, and he was uh, cracking some jokes or whatever it was. And he got on Harley's bad side. Uh, if I recall oh, the story yeah. correctly, and the thing is that uh, Harley pulled the car over, and uh, he said that you know that you know you you want to carry on with this. You're you're you know just 
step out of the car. And the thing is, that at that moment, oh, yeah. Dynamite just took and stepped right out of the car. He said, okay, let's go. And at that yeah. point, I guess, Harley respected him for doing that, for actually having the guts. Because how many guys would actually step up to Harley race back in the day? There and, you and go. For the, just for the fact that Dynamite had no fear whatsoever, and he was just stepped out and he's like, okay, then let's go. Uh, he was yeah. he basically won him over, uh, and uh, they were you know best friends after that. Oh, there you go. Well, I guess there was a, it was a different time and uh, different attitudes and different things. Uh, I guess meant respect, you yeah. know, where it would be a lot of those things you would hope that they would translate over to the the modern times now a little bit better. But I guess uh, well, there's some people holding them up anyway. I know. Here in in Russia, it seems like a lot of those uh, old school things, uh, in a way old school or whatever, but uh, they still hold quite true. You know, there's a, a, everything, a lot of things anyways, is based upon respect and, you know, people, they kind of give you a lot of respect right away, but if you don't show it back to them, then it's pretty... You know, it's almost unforgivable. So, but because uh, they're really wonderful people over here, uh, especially just the, the locals and all that. But uh, it's very heavy, I can tell, the very heavy based upon respect and mutual respect of, amongst everybody. And uh, it's really easy to break that, you know. And, but it's mm -hmm. uh, if you just, uh, I guess if you're just respectful, you know. Then, uh, then people accept you no matter who you are, it seems, anyway. Well, I'll but, tell you uh, what. I, I do know that much about Russia, that uh, there are there are certain demographics there where you end your messages with the word respect. And, and if yeah. you don't, then the thing is, they will send you back that word respect in their messages when you do so. And if there comes a day when you no longer receive a message where the, at the end of it, it's tagged with the word respect, you are in deep shit at that point. Yeah, there you go. So, and I think there's a lot oh. of people in fin in Finland, for example, who should actually uh, pay attention to that because uh, you know it's it's once you lose respect in someone's eyes, you know you're you're you may as well be talking to a ghost. That's it. It's exactly it. So, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, uh, other other I guess news uh, in the wrestling industry. I'm trying to rack my brain as to. What's been going on? I mean, the G1 climax is is happening in New Japan, and they constantly have have had some really uh, outstanding matches. And um, I'm I'm a little bit behind on that from being on this tour over here. But uh, once I get back to Helsinki on Monday, I have a little bit of wrestling to watch. But uh, I've heard that the WWE anyway. The there was a lot of people thinking that uh, this, I guess we'll call it the Paul Heyman era, is uh, is actually starting to do some good. But um, I have yet to see it personally, but I don't know, have you watched any Raw lately or have you heard any, uh, I guess, uh, anything about what's, what's going on in that company today? Well, I'll be honest with you, I haven't, I really haven't been watching now the, uh, the, the latest episodes of Raw. Um, I've been reading up on them though. That's the one. Yeah. So it's it's what really it's interesting. To, like I mean, they're kind of like 
I think that they're actually catching up now that once, the, you know, like Heyman and Bischoff took over Raw and SmackDown, respectively, I think that they're, they're playing a game of catch up for a bit now with whatever's handed to them. Because, you know, they walked in there with these storylines that were already going on. So the thing is that you're not going to deviate. You're not going to, like, set the, the meter to zero and start from scratch with, like, something new just because you stepped into the house. You're going yeah, to exactly. pick up where they left off. And, and that's where I think that the first couple of weeks or whatever they were, they were a bit transitional. And now they're slowly getting around to, to maybe uh, delving a bit deeper into it. But then again, you know, it's the numbers that are going to actually prove whether or not, uh, if the numbers pick up, whether or not people are interested. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, let's see. I mean, the I know when the, I guess we'll call it the competition for the moment anyway, but uh, with AEW going into uh, their live uh, TV broadcasting on Wednesdays and they just uh, I guess it was yesterday they put the tickets available for their first their first uh, live broadcast which is on mm-hmm. October 2nd and they sold yep. out uh, I believe it's 14 14,000 I think some something around there anyway uh, and um, I, I mean it was to me it was pretty obvious that this first uh, show, the live TV tape, not taping, I guess, but the live TV show would yeah. sell out. I, I don't think there was a doubt, um, especially uh, from what I understand that they have been doing a lot of analytics and that uh, Tony Khan, his, he owns a company that's all about analytics. So all of these events that they've been throwing thus far have basically been feeding their, I guess, analytic team where they can understand like where is the best place to put on a live event um and then you're kind of guaranteed to draw you know so they can see who's watching who's watching and where are they watching and what's the demographic and i'm sure it's it's ridiculously detailed but um anyway so i think that they have that that kind of that that skill set i think it's really uh, it's a really powerful one, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know when the 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 second the next week, the I guess there would be their second live show for TV, yeah, will uh, will take place, but I'm sure that'll sell out. I wonder when the when the peak moment when it will start to get to the point where you know it won't sell out. I guess that's the that's maybe the, the more of the question for me. Like, how long can they keep that going? Like, do you think that they'll hit more of the 5,000 seaters after this, you know, do a big shebang for the first one and then yeah. kind of go into more of like the NXT t- uh, territory in terms of the live venues. Or what do you think? Well, the thing is, I think that, um, first people got to see what the actual TV product is. Yeah. I think that they, they have to actually see what they're offering and what that two hour live presentation feels like, what it looks like. Does it catch fire? Are, are they going to formulate their own identity? Are they going to find their sea legs? Uh, who's going to be like, or who will be the main players? Um, I think all of these things are going to factor in. And it's going to be interesting because the thing is that they got quite a few people on the payroll. Yeah, that's true. And, and uh, the thing is, I was listening to the, the Stone Cold podcast. So Steve Austin interviewing Tony Khan. 
And uh, Tony Khan said that, that they have a lot of people now on the payroll that work behind the scenes. Also, They're also wrestling in addition to working behind the scenes, which means it's a full-time job for them already even now. Yeah, that's and, right. And that said, uh, people like Christopher Daniels, who is now head of uh, talent relations, um, then, of course, the, the basically the guys that are that are writing all the shit, which is uh, Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks, um, and and Tony Khan himself. I guess they're passing all that like through the five of them, um, and and whatnot. So it's it's interesting to see because even now for this first TV taping, they they've got two mystery opponents for Chris Jericho. I mean, it's, not not opponents, but mystery partners because it's a six man yeah. tag TV taping. I think it was the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega against Chris Jericho and two mystery uh, partners. So it's that's right. Like, yeah. So they're they're teasing that you know they're they're signing up new people, or I think that's the, that that's the general message that they're signing new talents all the time. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that before they get set, uh, or before they really like you know set their. Uh, they're marking stone, so to speak. Um, it's going to take a bit of time, and, and then after they've actually made their presence felt and, uh, and and established who they are, then people will make the judgment call whether uh, as to whether or not this interests them for the long haul. And that's where the peak's going to come. That's when people are going to like decide that this is the greatest thing on earth since sliced bread. Or then they're going to say that ah, this is like really not that. So you know, it, not that interesting. The, the one thing that they were talking about on that podcast with uh, uh, Steve Austin and Tony Khan was that back in the early two thousands, for example, and the late nineties, there were like about what was it nine million people or what, how much was it? But they were like something in the range of like nine million people on Monday nights watching wrestling. And where did those people go? Because now it's like something in the range of like two, yeah, right. two million, maybe yeah, half million. exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, much uh, much less. I think uh, that Monday nights are uh, even dropping under two million. It's this idea that uh, like that the AEW might uh, be able to capture. Uh, I guess lost fans or fans of the older style or that uh, just, I guess maybe the WCW fans, you know, because uh, I, you know, uh, I had a lot of wrestling who only watch WCW and they did not WWF or E and um, it uh, once WCW folded and went, got kind of like absorbed into yeah. the big E, they, uh, they just stopped. So, I know there was a there was some kind of was it a loose fact anyway that um, there's a, a pretty good number uh, of uh, fans watching AEW that are not crossover fans. They are like uh, fans that do not watch the other products. So uh, I don't know how big of a number it is, but uh, these like I guess wrestling fans that have been I guess they're. What, what would you call them? But uh, they've been kind of... They, they didn't like what they saw in the WWF and or E. And then when there was those alternatives, like, let's say, Impact, or when it was TNA and uh, Lucha Underground, and the, maybe those are the fans that went there. 
you know, and uh, when those products kind of dried up, then um, they had nowhere else to go and maybe went and signed up for New Japan subscriptions and and all that and uh, possibly Ring of Honor and that. And then here they are, you know, tagging along with the AEW train. But I'm sure there's going to be diehards that won't care what AEW does. They will love it to the end of the time. But uh, then there's going to be the... I think probably the mass majority will be very hesitant. And they're loving maybe what they see now or they're getting a little bit, like, worried because maybe they're loving half. You know, we were talking about it that... uh, kind of half the show is like like top notch and then the other half is uh like quite a bit shaky on the you know that you're kind of thinking are they really are they really going to do it this way kind of thinking so yeah i guess it comes down to what uh, what's their first month of tv going to be like and i guess they're going to set the ball rolling and um I mean, I, I hope definitely that, that they do really well. I think they're aiming, a lot of people expect them to have a viewership at the beginning anyway, to be an average around like uh, 500,000, something like okay. that. But, yeah. you know, 500 to 700 for, for the Wednesday night. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that, you know, at the first show we'll do much more than that. You know, I'm sure it'll, it'll be, they'll... They'll hype the crap out of it, so it's uh, probably ha- it will have a really impressive uh, number for the first week, and it's yeah. just going to be then see seeing how they can uh, sustain it. You know, that's it. Yeah. Well, the thing is that uh, you know it's what Jim Ross said back in the day that that when when the viewership numbers dropped for like Monday nights, for example, back in like let's say about twenty years ago, uh, that when the, when the downturn came finally. Uh, it's because people were not interested in what was being offered. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, you would have retained those viewers had they been interested in whatever was going on. And that's right. the catch is now in this era, uh, cornering the market for what people want to see. And that's something that actually Cody Rhodes said just a while ago. He said that AEW he said that we have cornered the market on professional wrestling because WWE is not professional wrestling. It's sports entertainment, mm-hmm. right? There you go. And, and, and it's, it's almost like the people that are sick and tired of sports entertainment, that it's going to be a challenge to see that whether or not AEW is going to be able to offer, whether or not that's just a catchphrase. You know what I mean? In other words, I've yeah. seen part of the AEW product that, that is just like WWE. It's just a, a different version of goofy shit. Uh, but then I've That's seen true. some of the, yeah, exactly. And then I've seen some of the stuff that they presented, which is like the, the, the top notch matches, uh, the, the, the top tier performers or whatever you want to call them wrestlers. And they're the ones that have put out matches that are consistently well, or maybe not consistently, but that on average, they're like really damn good matches. So yeah. That's that's the question right now. Is that okay? They're they're developing new stars. They've got a few of the uh, you know more established or older stars. You know guys like Jericho who've got a name in the business and whatnot. But and Cody Rhodes. But uh, outside of them and Goldust, uh, everybody pretty much is new. So that's true. You know, and and now they've also, by the way, they just uh, advertised Sadie Gibbs now as part of the uh, 
the offering for uh, once that television sets in. So I think that's, was it now for October 2nd or was it now for the 31st? I don't remember which one, but so Sadie Gibbs just, I believe, had her last match here in, in Europe at WrestleAid for Slam Wrestling Finland on the 29th of June. So uh, next up for her is AEW. It's going to be interesting to see how she go, uh, how she pans out there too. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be talking to Lanny Poffo, the genius, in just a few moments. But before we do, let's catch a word from our sponsors. Hey there, my name is Michael Mudgelai, better known in the pro wrestling world as the Rebel Starbuck. I've decided to launch a brand new live action entertainment venture called Slam Wrestling Finland, which is an on-demand service offering the best top-of-the-line professional wrestlers out of Europe today. We can custom tailor the entire show from start to finish. Girls matches, triple threat matches, tag team matches, or then the good old one-on-one damn good wrestling match. If you've got something in mind, we'll find the right guy or girl for the job. Slam Wrestling Finland is an on-demand live service that offers you, as the customer, the opportunity to choose as many matches as you would like. Contact us today at slamrest.fi or slamsports.eu. Red Skull Hot Sauce. Fiery sauce focused on flavor. Made by a Canadian in Helsinki. Awesome sauce in a sweet-ass skull bottle. That's Red Skull Hot Sauce. R-E-D-D Skull Hot Sauce. On Facebook and Instagram. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rebel Starbuck and Dylan Broda with you here on Shooting the Shiz at once again this week. It's our honor to have one of the WWE, WWF legends from the 80s, Leaping Lanny Poffo, better known as the Genius. And uh, Lanny, how you doing out there in Florida today? I am the Genius, Lanny Poffo, still living in the past. <laughs> You're not the only one, brother. I tell you what. I, I often say I'm one of these uh, throwbacks myself. You know, I, I, I find myself living in the past because I've got a band called Stoner Kings that I'm the vocalist for. I wrote this song called Living in the Past. Uh, I think it was about 2003. We never recorded it, but uh, I, can, I can echo your sentiment, the sentiments. That's right. You know, I'm going to be 65 years old in December, and uh, I am divorced, as you can imagine. And uh, I have one daughter and one and a half grandsons. One and a half? How, how, did, how did that happen? One and a half? Well, he's going to pop out in December. Oh, okay. So he's, he's in the oven. He's on the way. He's coming, he's coming in loud and strong. All right. That's good to hear. So, Lanny, uh, what was the year that you got into the wrestling business? The, the, the year that you debuted? 1973. Oh, man, I that's was... the year I was born. Is that right? What what day were you born? April twenty fourth. Well, mine was June the June the eighth, uh, nineteen eight. Uh, I'm so, I'm sorry, nineteen seventy three. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah, nineteen seventy three. Yeah, wow. Yes, uh, you know, I'm getting to the age where I'm going to start forgetting normal things. But uh, yeah, I I got lucky because you know my father was a wrestler, and then my brother was playing baseball, and um, He's, he got signed in professional baseball in 1971, uh-huh. and he played his final year in 1975, and then he started wrestling, 
And 10 years later, he made his debut in Madison Square Garden. And guess who he was? Uh, that's the Macho Man Randy Savage right there. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's right. Freak out, freak <laughs> out. <laughs> that's right. And uh, I'll tell you what, I think he got the last laugh. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, he, he, he absolutely a legendary career. I mean, if anybody made it in the business, Randy sure as sure shit made it. So uh, he did rather well for himself. I could name you a hundred baseball players that you've never heard of, but everybody's heard of the Macho Man. That's it. I think the only other baseball player that comes to mind, at least for me, is uh, Shohei Giant Baba from Japan, All Japan Pro Wrestling's boss back in the day, oh, who was yeah. a baseball player also. Yeah. Yeah, baseball is very big in Japan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, when you got the business, the thing is, your father, did he own that ICW at the time when you broke into the business? No, he didn't. No. Um, you know, we were just going around in different promotions. Um, we went Eddie Farhat, which is the original Sheik. Yeah, um, Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were in uh, Ohio, Michigan, Ontario, and based out of there. And uh -huh. he was always very, very nice to us. And uh, that was our home base. From there, we went to Amarillo working for the Funks. And then uh, it wasn't until 1979 that we started the ICW International Championship Wrestling. And uh, I was not, we, we pulled our money one third, one third, one third. I was one third owner of the company. And um, we lasted until 1985. And that's when Randy and I went to New York and we decided to fold the tent. Right. So was it, that your, was it your father that taught you and Randy how to wrestle or who was your coach? My father uh, taught us how to wrestle, but he also said that we should learn from everybody. Watch every match and always be learning. If you learn one thing a day, at the, at the end of the year, that's 365 things. So uh, while, you're, while you're alive, never stop learning. Well, that's it. That's it. It's like Terry Funk said that once you lose the, uh, the butterflies, that once you don't have the heebie-jeebies before your match, it's time to, to hang it up. If, if, the, if the day ever comes that you don't have any nervous, like any nerves on end before your bout. Well, I'll tell you what, Terry Funk is one of, the, uh, one of my favorite wrestlers in the business. And tomorrow, believe it or not, at the age of almost 65, I'm going to be wrestling in Ocala, Florida. And guess who is the promoter? I would say uh, if it's Ocala, Florida, that's got to be Dory Funk Jr. And his lovely wife, Marty. Yes, that's right. Well, the Funkin' Dojo, who you, who you, who's your opponent? I don't know, but uh, it's going to be uh, Bob Cook and I against somebody. And uh, I'm going to ask him politely if he would uh, tote the mail a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take most of the money and let him do most of the work. <laughs> it sounds like a good deal to me, eh? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, so, hey, Lanny, I got if if I can jump in here, if you guys can hear me all the way sure. from Russell. Uh, but uh, I was just uh, wanted to ask you about when you were a kid um, with your brother there, and like when I was a kid, we were watching, of course, WWF on TV. I have three younger brothers, so of course, I was putting them in. Boston crabs and sharpshooters every time I could and try and, you know, making them tap out all the time because I was the oldest one. But uh, we were 
wrestling in the basement, breaking the furniture and things like that. What was it like, you know, growing up in that kind of wrestling family? And uh, did you and your brother, like when you were kids, you know, do the kind of same thing, just goofing around, uh, breaking stuff and, uh, you know, kind of getting the, the furniture bill up? Well, I got to say that I might be the toughest guy in the world because I survived being the younger brother of the macho man, Randy Savage. And if I were the least bit sensitive <laughs> or delicate, they would have find, found me with a suicide note just hanging from some object. You know, the, you know but the thing is, uh, Randy was always very good to me. It was like having two fathers. You know, he, would, uh, he was two years older than me. And he would always um, take the time to criticize me in a way that didn't hurt my self-esteem. He would like to make a white bread sandwich. You know, hey, you're doing, you're doing yeah. great. Here's a little something for you to work on. And then don't worry, you're going to be great. You know what I mean? So he had the talent and the personality to uh, tell you what you're doing wrong. And, and you know, he, he, if he didn't like you, he wouldn't bother with you. Yeah. And what was it like with the, I guess we, we interviewed Rip Rogers a little while ago and I know that, uh, that your family really helped him out quite a lot. So what was it like, uh, I guess, training or at least having a hand in uh, with those other guys who would come in and get trained by your family? Well, I was like, uh, Ronnie Garvin and I were the main baby faces and we tried to, you know, people, if somebody asks me a question, I'm definitely going to answer it as sincerely as I can. You know, I just uh, came back from a tour of Winnipeg. Uh, and, um, you know, some of the wrestlers didn't ask for my, you know, didn't ask me for advice. And some did. And the ones that asked me got advice. You know, and I sincerely watched their match and tried to, because, you know, um, but I also try not to break their spirit. And, um, like recently I was doing a seminar of wrestling um, for a man that was trained by Boris Maximilianovich Malenko. That's, you know, Larry Simon. Yep. Yep. Dean, Mal Dean yeah. Malenko's father. Yes. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yes. And it was Frankie Reyes has the, has the gym and he was a referee that was trained by Malenko. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, I, I love uh, going to wrestling schools and trying to help people. I did it in Ecuador. And uh, here I am, I'm learning all this Spanish, and then everybody spoke English. So I, you know, basically didn't need any <laughs> Spanish. Uh, and by the way, uh, I'm a, I have a mutual friend, um, um, Natalia Markova. That's right, yep. And, and she taught me how to say, Ya te vi lu blue. And what exactly does that mean? I'll try to use that over here. Do you know what it means? No, actually, I don't. No. It's three little words that mean I love you. Oh. Ah. Was, that, was that something special just for her? Um, I'm not that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at, the, I'm at the age if a girl's... I'm at the age if a girl says, no, I'm grateful. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'll tell you what. But Lanny, hey, coming from the, the, the background that you do, I mean, you come from what we deem as uh, deemed to be the old school now. And, um, I mean, you've seen the business over several decades now. So uh, I remember I was, we had a bit of a chat, you and I, a few days ago 
Um, and, and we were talking about this old school promoter that some people might know, some people maybe won't know, but anyway, Bill Watts from the Mid-South Territory. And uh, Bill Watts had a really, a really unique way of, of uh, doing business the old school way. And, and I'd like you to actually just delve into that a bit and just recount or recant uh, the, the story that you told me about Bill Watts and about the, the boys bitching about their pay back in the day and then Bill Watts taking out the chalkboard. Okay. Um, we were in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, and I had just flown in, uh, actually. And uh, they were just going to fly me in uh, two different TVs and then bring me back to work. Uh-huh. So I go there, and Bill Watts grabs the chalkboard, and he says, I heard that some people are complaining about their payoff, actually bitching about their payoff, uh, but I'm trying to keep it clean. Okay, some people are bitching about their payoff. Well, here's, here's what I have to tell you. First of all, you got something to say, say it to my face. But now I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to give you an explanation. We ran the uh, Superdome, uh, the New Orleans uh, Superdome. Uh-huh. And this is the rent of the building. And he puts out a great number. I forgot what the number was. But trust me, you don't want to pay it. Okay. And this was the license. And this was the insurance. And this was the security. And this is what I had to pay for the... Um, for the ushers and the policemen. And this is what I paid the talent. And this was the gross. And, and I subtract the gross from all I paid off. And this number is my profit. And anybody doesn't like it, you, why don't you buy your own territory? And if you, if you don't like buying your own territory, then get the fuck out of here because this is my business and you are just transient. And I thought to myself, this guy is a man and a half. This man, I said to myself, and he was a little bit charming the way he did it. You know, of course, I I was just fascinated because I had never seen a man so blatant. Um, And I'm going to tell you what, I hear a lot of bad things about Bill Watts. But I saw him a few months ago and uh, I ran over to him and I said hello. And I think he's 80 years old now. Yep. And I, um, you know, he's not looking that good right now. And I said, hey, my name is Lanny Popple. He said, I remember you. And, you know, uh, I worked for him for two years and I really enjoyed every minute of it. The trips were a little long. And, uh, you know, it's, but I tell you what, um, he was, a, he, you know what, there's a lot of people say bad things about Bill Watts, but you won't hear me say anything bad about Bill Watts because mm-hmm. uh, I think he's a man and a half. And I aspire to be half the man he was. Well, I, I got to ask you, Lanny, because the thing is that like nowadays, it seems like we live in a different day and age and we live in a, I think that a lot of these guys and girls coming up nowadays, they've been brought up with this entitled kind of mentality. I'm not sure if it's a millennial thing or if it's just, I don't, I don't know how it's permeated our society to the point where it has, but um, it's almost like they expect the universe to, you know, the universe owes them something, so to speak. And, and back in the day, you know, I mean, I was brought up with, with having to earn every single little bit and, you know, every, every, every diamond nickel and penny that you made, you had to earn and every, everything in life, every step that you took, I mean, you have to really put some effort into it. Uh, nothing was given to you. Um, what's your take 
on like the wrestling nowadays, the mentality of the talent compared to the old school mentality? Well, I did not come on your show to belittle the young people. However, mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm going to, you know, give you my experience. I think what's wrong is everybody is hypersensitive. Like, mm -hmm. they get their feelings hurt over nothing. Yeah. Like, even the uh, Me Too movement. Uh, yep. That's a joke. Uh, the only sexual harassment I've ever heard of is uh, sleep with me or you're fired. But, I mean, that's one thing. But everybody said, oh, you gave me a microaggression. Well, what the hell is that? Or, yeah. you know, you got to be careful with your pronouns. Now, the thing is... Um, you know, like there's 100 genders. I don't believe that for a minute. I think there's two. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're either a boy or a girl. And, um, you know, if you want to get a penectomy, then be my guest. But, mm -hmm. you know, they say, don't, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to pay for it. Okay. So <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of participation trophies in sports where yeah. you're not allowed to win because you're going to make the loser feel badly. Yeah. But, yeah. Isn't winning the the point of sports? I thought that was the, I thought that was the reason we did this. Well, the thing is, I is isn't it the case where the only way that you can aspire to be better or like to make more money, like in the old days, of course. I mean, you guys were paid on the house, so whatever the promoter made, you'd make a cut of the house. There were no guaranteed contracts, right? That's right. So, so the thing is that it's like it was up to you as a piece of talent to try to get better and to, to improve the house and to make people want to come to the shows because your pay was hinged upon the number of people in the building. But nowadays with, uh, you know, you give the promoter a price, you say that this is my price that I'm asking for. And the promoter either says yes or no. And, and, uh, you've got these downside guarantee contracts with Vince and with uh, the other companies where you're making a certain downside. That's your guarantee. And then whatever you make on top of that, if the if if the business is up or if your merchandise is good or whatever, then you then you're making more. But uh, do you think that it that it takes away from the business aspect that that the business has changed in this way that that uh, the pay structure and the pay scale uh, has has completely changed? Well, when I got into the built business in 1973, I was very happy to be in the business. You know, mm -hmm. I was. Uh, I was an oversensitive boy with a bad complexion, and I knew that if I didn't, uh, if I wasn't in the business, the business would be fine without me. And I think mm -hmm. uh, a lot of wrestlers should admit that um, the business would be fine without them. Okay, mm -hmm. but it's my—I'm very lucky to be in the business. So I, so what I did was I—I uh, I was early to every town. I would never miss a shot. And then uh, I would do what I was told to the best of my ability. And then if somebody else gave me a, uh, an offer, I would always give my two weeks notice and do the right thing on the way out uh, at, for, because I didn't want to burn my bridge. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way I was taught. And if I did anything less than that, you know, my father would spin in his grave. So mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, in 1990, uh, after... I had the run of four months on main events as the genius. And then mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan went away to make some movies. And mm -hmm. uh, that left me, um, you know, without a, without a big baby face protecting me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened was I was given my, um, how do you say, uh, let's see, what is the term they use? Future endeavors. Yeah, you you were future uh, endeavored. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they, we wish you luck on your future endeavors. So I had one more month of bookings to fulfill, mm-hmm. even though at the end of a month I was going to be future endeavored. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, and I was not happy about it, but that's the way it is, right? It's like, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, they had new guys coming in and, uh, you know, they like to keep it current and fresh. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my point is I was in a town, St. Louis on a Friday night. And then the next Saturday I had a double shot of Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin on two o'clock and eight o'clock. So it was St. Louis Tuesday night, two o'clock Milwaukee uh, PM and then uh, eight o'clock Madison, Wisconsin. So I'm not a real genius, but I could tell that the way it was so foggy, I could barely see my hand in front of my face. Hmm. And I, I knew that, uh, I knew two things. Number one, nobody's going to fly in fog like that. And number two, if there is somebody going to fly in it, I don't want to be on that plane. Mm -hmm. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I also knew that we're right on the Mississippi river and there is no way that the fog is going to lift with all that moisture in the air caused Mm -hmm. by the river. Mm -hmm. So, So I said to myself, what would my father do? And what would my brother do? Okay, I'm thinking to myself. So I had plan A and plan B. And thank God plan A worked. Because I, I used plan A. And I, and I was the first one to the building in Milwaukee at 2 o'clock. I mean, before 2 o'clock. I was there before the ring truck. <laughs> and uh, I undressed and put my wrestling gear on and tried to take a nap. And then when... Uh, and then I was part of the six people from St. Louis didn't make Milwaukee. They were also in mm-hmm. the same boat as me. But I was part of the solution, not the problem, of, of Milwaukee, okay? And mm-hmm. I told the agent, Cowboy Jack Lanza, that the other guys aren't going to be there. I was there, and I told him how I got there. And then, uh, and then I go to Madison, Wisconsin later that night, and I see the other six guys that were in the... Um, that were on the same tour as me. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning is with all those guys, and he says, where the fuck were you? (laughs) (laughs) And and I said, uh, I said, I was in Milwaukee where you were supposed to be. And he says, well, how did you get there? And I said, well, why do you think they call me the genius? And I never told him. <laughs> I, ne- I never told him, but I'm going to tell you right now. Uh-huh. I took the bus. Uh, 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 I took the <laughs> bus. I took the bus. I took the bus from St. Louis to Chicago, and then I transferred on the bus from from Chicago to Milwaukee. And when I went to the men's room, I met a fellow that tried to uh, get me to buy his marijuana. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I was. I was with the, I was with the bus crowd, and uh, uh-huh. I and I tried to, and I never, uh, I had my bag with me, my suitcase, and I never let it uh, go from my fist in the entire mm-hmm. trip, because mm-hmm. you know I was just we don't, a man should never be separated from his luggage. But what do you think of that story? 
I was raised by Angelo and Judy Popo, and I am the brother of the Macho Man Randy Savage, and I'm the only one alive. And I want to tell you, they were all three very, very proud of me because I made my shot, even though I was future endeavored. Well, I think it's just it's it's just the honorable thing to do. I mean, the thing is that. Uh... I mean, I was brought up also in the business with a, with a mentality of that you make your dates as long as you can carry your head in your hands. Right. Now, now that was plan A, the bus. Can you imagine if there was no bus, that means I would have had to rent a car. Yep. And, uh, and you know what? I was already tired. And oh, I, I bet you. To, I would have had to caffeinate myself with either coffee or pills. And mm-hmm. uh, I am so glad that the bus took me. Rather than the, oh, I didn't want to drive myself. That's, uh, ooh, that was uh, poor visibility. But from that era, by the way, Lanny, there are so many guys like, I mean, the, the, so many guys that have died, first of all, and, and passed away uh, from different kinds of complications or then from health problems or then or premature death. Um, and, and a lot of like these are related to like drug uh, issues and whatnot. That, why do you think it was that in the eighties, was it the travel schedule? Was it the, what, what exactly like lent to the, like it, the dire, uh, like way the things were that where guys were so hopped up on pills and, and they were, uh, and they were so messed up. There were so many guys that were like, like severely messed up from the eighties and the nineties. Why is that? Well, when I said I wanted to caffeinate myself, what I meant was I didn't want to fall asleep at the wheel, but you are talking to a man that never has ever, 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 ever done a drug. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I take that back. In 1989, when I became the genius, I was so tired of being a jabroni Mm -hmm. that I took took a drug called Decadorabalin. Ooh, uh, Deca, yeah. (laughs) and, uh, And then I'll tell you what, when I... I, I, I had a, I had about a month off without pay and I was doing the Decadorabalin. And when I came to, uh, when I came on tour as the genius, I took my shirt off in the dressing room and everybody says, Holy fuck, what happened to you? <laughs> and, and, and I just smiled and they said, "Never mind, We know what happened to you. And, uh, <laughs> believe it or believe it or not, as much improved as my body was, um, it was still no match for anybody in that locker room. The warlord, the barbarian, the ultimate warrior, Hulk Hogan, my brother, you know, uh, Davy Boy Smith. Uh, these uh, these guys were serious men, and you know, so that's the only drug I ever took was Decadorablin. And then after I wrestled Hulk Hogan on NBC, um, I took a shower and looked down at myself and had a very honest review of my testicular atrophy. Uh, my balls, had, my balls had shrunk to the size of raisins. So I decided to pull the needle out. Then all my muscles looked like a balloon at the end of the party. And uh, I have to say, I lost my libido or my sex drive. But fortunately, I was married at the time, so it made no difference at all. <laughs> there you go. Oh, jeez. I can sympathize sometimes with that, but uh, that's the way that, that's the way that life treats you sometimes. Yeah, and oh, you know, geez. as bad as as bad as my marriage was, we had a great sex life. She hated sex, and I found her quite repulsive. Oh, jeez! Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I told I told I told Natalia Markova, "How do you tell an old man in the dark?" 
And she says, how? I said, it's not hard. <laughs> but I'm afraid, I'm afraid of her because, you know, she can, uh, she can actually beat me up and I'm afraid of her. Okay. Well, yeah, I think most men are afraid of her. That's for sure. Yeah. You've seen her kick. Oh my God. <laughs> I, well, I refereed a, I refereed a match between her and, uh, Helena six from Sweden and Natalia Markova literally, uh, I think she basically gave, uh, Helena sixth, a, a, a tit transplant with, uh, some of the chops that happened in that match. So that made me quite terrified of ever getting on her bad side. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, I speak when spoken to. What Lanny, so Lanny, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Starbuck. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. What just to go back to my question though, why do you think it was that in the 80s these guys were so like messed up? Like, I mean, is is it because of the the travel? Was that the main thing, like just the the wicked hours, or like why did they get up hopped up on pills and and, like why were there so many drug problems back in the day? The travel is a cop out, okay, because I made the same trips they made. Okay. okay. Um, it's the whole thing is about philosophy. Um, when you look at Ric Flair, mm-hmm. he is pleasure, power, and possession. Ooh, mm-hmm. I can't do the noise. Ooh, ooh, I can't do it. Can you do, can you do it? Woo! <laughs> okay, I am not a Rolex wearing, I'm not a Rolex wearing, jet flying, uh, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not any of that. Um, what I am, see, he's pleasure, power, and possession, Mm -hmm. and I am health, wealth, and freedom. Right. And health comes Mm. first. Nothing's more important than health. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so what I do, um, is I, I'm always constantly reading new books on health. And what makes me angry is two experts don't agree. And then you don't know who to believe. Mm. Okay. So you try it and try this and you try that. But the thing is, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. Um, and I am very, very ashamed that I did Deca Durabalin, but you got to put yourself in my shoes. I was getting an opportunity with a gimmick after being uh, five years, you know, um, on the undercard. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was my big break and I didn't want to uh, not earn it. Okay. But the thing is, Never put anything above. Nothing's more important than health. Not wealth, not fame, nothing. Um, you know, like I say, I'm going to be 65 December 28th, and I've got a bucket list of things to do. And uh, I tell you what, I would love to go to Finland. I would also go to, like to go to Stockholm, and I would like to go. I'll tell you what I'd like to do also. I'd like to go to Oslo and check out the fjords. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I still have I still have things I want to do, things I want mm-hmm. to accomplish in my life, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I am totally happy to be alive, breathing in and out. I'm very sorry that my brother isn't here, and mm-hmm. my parents, but I'm glad that my father died before my brother, because he would he would as demented as he was, and he was suffering from you know uh, the usual uh, senil- senility. He would have mm-hmm. understood that Randy was gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad. I'm glad he missed it. I only wish 
I had to take care of my mother for the last six years of her life. She mm. died June 3rd, 2017, and she absolutely collapsed when Randy died. Mm. Yeah, what a terrible thing. Yeah. Especially for, for a mother like that. Well can you can you believe can you believe it's been eight years since Randy left? No, that's hard to believe. No, it really is. Yeah, wow. And I'll tell you what, you guys got to admit something. You've seen a million wrestlers. You'll never forget the macho man. You know, that's true, by the way. I got to tell you, Lanny, uh, like when I'm thinking about the the absolute golden days of wrestling now, I I think that like the boom period, at least in our lifetime, uh, is absolutely like the mid 80s. I mean, that that was the MTV integration with uh, when Vince went uh, went national with WrestleMania. But that was like. The wrestlers from that era, from that eighties, mid eighties period, they were so pre, like predominantly featured and, and so well featured. Um, and I think part of that actually had to do with the, the structure of, of having those undercard guys, like on the superstar shows, uh, like doing the jobs for the, for the main event talent and putting them over. Because that's what made them stand out and made sure that everybody knew that Jake the Snake's finisher was that DDT. Made sure that everybody knew that that uh, Macho Man's finisher was the top rope elbow drop. It made sure, that it, so it got over the finishes and it got over the characters uh, to such a powerful degree that people still to this day uh, hold these guys to have like immense star power. And, and that's something that's missing, I think, with the, with the wrestlers nowadays is that it seems like even Vince has to keep on bringing back uh, guys like Undertaker and Triple H and whatnot for like WrestleMania or then for the Saudi Arabian tour uh, just to draw the kinds of like ticket sales or then the buys uh, that, that, you know, the, that the big business expects because it seems like they can't build the same types of stars anymore. Well, I think one of the reasons why not is because in my day we had bookers but now they have writers. Now, yeah. how can you possibly write for a man like Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Rowdy, Roddy, Piper, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Jake the Snake, Roberts? These men had personality. Yeah. And you couldn't possibly, you, you just tell them what to say and let them put it in their own words. Yeah. You know, because uh, you can't tell Roddy Piper what to say. You know, you can't write for him. He can only write for himself. That's how great he was. And that's why people still remember him. You know, it's, um, the, the thing is, and I'll, I'll tell you something about my brother. If mm. he wanted to, he could have made a fortune in the locker room because he was a card shark. And all he, he could play cards like anybody, uh, like nobody I've ever seen. And all mm. he would have had to do is hang around Arnold Skolan and Andre the Giant. And he could have just taken as much money as he mm. wanted from. Uh, but instead of that, he would get there early to the show. He would get himself prepared. He would make sure Elizabeth was prepared. He would get with his opponent, and he would, um, you know, go over everything and try his best to have a great match. And the mm -hmm. reason he was like that, kind of an OCD, obsessive, compulsive personality uh, disorder, mm -hmm. because um, we saw a match back in 1961 Pat O'Connor versus Buddy Rogers. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Okay? So mm -hmm. I recommend you see it. And that was wrestling at its finest in the early 60s. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Have you heard of these men? Oh, of course. I know very well. I mean, I, I personally, I know the history of yeah. professional wrestling rather well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was, it was my brother's dream to have a match that just that good. Mm-hmm. So he finally made his mark in the business when in WrestleMania three, when he wrestled Ricky, the dragon steamboat. Mm-hmm. And, and then he was never, he was never happy after that because he could never top that match. And once right. you've had a match mm. that great, you want to have a match better than that. So yeah. after Elizabeth left him and he was relegated to the announcer's booth, yeah. um, he noticed that a really great talent was coming to his own, and that was Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. And he mm. thought if he could jump out of retirement and if he could wrestle Shawn Michaels, and he planned a two-year program, him and Shawn going all over the uh, all over the world, and then that was his plan. And he and he gave this plan to the powers that be, and they said, "Well, that sounds great, Randy, but we're having a youth movement, and the best thing you can do is stay on the microphone." And then wow, he said, oh wow, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was elderly. And he says, "But I think sure. I'll get a sec- I think I'll get a second opinion on that." And he calls up the WCW. And mm-hmm. he makes him, and he leaves immediately. And and what's worse? Now, what he would have loved to do is beat is beat up Pat Patterson and Chief J Strongbow on his last day. But instead mm. of that, instead of beating up two old men, you know mm. what he does? Mm. He does something even worse. He goes to Jim. He goes to he goes to um, Raleigh, North Carolina where uh, Good Mark Foods, the home of Slim Jim, and he convinces them to uninvest with Vince and invest with Ted Turner in Atlanta. Wow. wow. So he took the sponsor away. <laughs> oh, geez. Yes, instead of beating the shit of everybody that he hated, he, yeah. um, and trust me, he had a list a mile long, mm. um, but he didn't beat up anybody. Instead, he hit him where it hurt, in the pocketbook. Right. Wow. That's it. And I'll tell you what, Slim Jim loved Randy and uh he did a they they did a lot of things for each other. They got a NASCAR, uh, you know, they had these races uh with Slim Jim and mm-hmm. they invited him there yeah. and he, he would go there dressed as the macho man, and of course their their fans are the same fans as ours. So he would um he would go there and of course you know, once you've seen the macho man, it's a, it's unmistakable. You know, and then mm-hmm. he would sign autographs at nauseum, and he would get to know the people of Slim Jim, and he made personal relationships with them, so mm-hmm. that when when it was time for him to leave, um, they were very comfortable with going with him, and it worked out good for everybody except one guy, who Vince. Him, well, you know, the thing is, he's a Vince is a great man <laughs> and a good man. I, I'm not going to knock him, but he's a Roman, and he has to win them all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, Lanny, what do you think of uh, companies like this AEW, that All Elite Wrestling kind of coming into the landscape and all that? Are they just, do you think they're just like another one of these TNA um, kind of Ring of Honor, you know, will probably kind of fall to the wayside after the excitement dies down? Or do you think they really got a chance as to what they're doing? Well, I'll tell you what. I hope I hope they stay in business because I want everybody to make money. I want you know just because yeah. 
I don't want to be one of those wrestlers that um, it's like, what if it was like everybody was, we're at a party and there's a punch bowl and I've already had a lot of punch um, and now I want to leave. So what do I do? Piss in the punch bowl so you can't have any? Or Yeah, or, there you go. You see what I mean? I don't want to be the guy that pissed in the punch bowl. I want to be the guy that was good for the business, that was happy about the success that I've enjoyed, and I want to be happy for the young people that go on. Now, I was very lucky in All In in Chicago about a year ago. Um, thanks to I a was there. Dear, thanks to a very dear friend of mine, Jay Lethal. Um, he let me walk out with him while he imitated the Macho Man. And Randy loved that imitation of the Macho Man by Jay Lethal because he thought that was the greatest tribute to him ever. You know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but mm -hmm. Jay Lethal is also a great wrestler and mm -hmm. a great performer. And um, so he let me go out with him, you know, to uh, just enhance whatever and uh, be a part of the finish. And I never asked for money, but guess what? Um, the Young Bucks, they send me a letter in the mail with a check for more. See, I paid my own way to Chicago, and I, paid, and I bought my own uh, hotel room for two <clears> days. <throat> See what I mean? I didn't, uh, I didn't know I was even going to be on the card, but Jay Lethal says, why don't you come down and I'll try to get you on the card. <clears throat> and, I, and I said, okay. He says, uh, and you can use your own credit card, right? And I said, yeah. I'll take a, you know, I don't mind. And uh, so what they do, uh, I didn't draw that crowd. They would have had just as many people there as if I hadn't been born. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what mm -hmm. those young bucks do is they send me more money than I spent and actually a handsome payday. And, uh, and I thought to myself, anybody that knocks these two guys, I am going to kick the shit out of because these guys, <laughs> there you go. these guys have integrity. And, you know, where money lies, honor dies. And most people don't have any integrity. Mm -hmm. um, but these guys paid me money, and I don't even think I deserved it. Because it was my pleasure to be there to get one last hurrah in, in, the, uh, in the town that I was raised. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? I was happy to be there. I'm at, mm -hmm. the, I'm at the final gliding path of life. I'm, I'm lucky to be anywhere. And they paid me not only the money that I spent, but a handsome payday as well. They could have just as easily pocketed that, and I would have had no complaints. So I want all of your fans to know that the Young Bucks, the Jackson Brothers, whatever you call them, these are not only great people, they're good people too. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. All right. By the way, Lanny, I had to ask you also about, uh, since we're, we're touching on the subject of Randy Savage also, um, one of the things about Randy that really, really made him stand out, of course, was Miss Elizabeth, his wife, Liz Houlette. Uh, and uh, when, did, when did Randy actually meet her? Like, when did they hook up? Because she debuted in, uh, was it 1985 at the, was it? That was yes. her. That with with uh, Randy at, at ringside as as his valet, right? As his manager. Yes. And uh, what? When did they actually meet? Okay, they actually met. I'm going to say 1983 at the gym we all went to in Lexington, Kentucky, which is which is now 
no longer in business. It's called mm-hmm. the Sintay Sports Center, which was a karate studio that they branched out into a weightlifting uh, place also. Mm-hmm. And um, she was the girl that is at the front desk, okay? She was, uh, you know, take your whatever, hello, good morning, whatever. Right. And right. Um, Randy must have made a good impression on her because evidently they went out and uh, they got married. And then... Um, Vince Mc- and then Randy gets his break in New York around June of 1985, and mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out who should be Randy's manager. Right. And Vince McMahon says, "I think you should be. You should have a girl manager, and uh, we would like you to do uh, be with Missy Hyatt." And wow, says, Missy! And, wow. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so Randy says, "Oh, I don't think that would be very good for my." Uh, for my marriage, he says, let me, he said, look, my wife is a beautiful woman. She's not blonde and she's not tall, but that's better for me because she'll make me look taller where Missy Hyatt, you know, is very tall and mm-hmm. she will make me look smaller, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, cause it's all in TV. It's all perception. Of course. So, mm. so anyway, well, well, so anyway, they, they all flew into, uh, Titan Towers, the, you know, the office building, and she had mm-hmm. a little audition. They took one look at her, fell in love, and they say, okay, beautiful. Uh, she's going to be Miss Elizabeth. So, so then she was an instant success, uh, and um, she did a fantastic job for Randy, and she was involved in every storyline um, for Randy, and it just enhanced him. Um, and it, it worked out you know, all's well that ends well. And I hope that Elizabeth uh, gets inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame because she certainly deserves it. I mean, the thing is that the contrast between Randy and between Elizabeth, you know, Liz being the demure, uh, very soft-spoken, very feminine, um, you know, the the really beautiful woman, and Randy being so over-the-top and, and so domineering and... Uh, being the macho man, I thought it was the perfect like dichotomy I, or what, you know, the word that I'm looking for, the, the perfect contrast, uh, to, to get him over as a character. I mean, I don't think that Missy would have done the same thing for him. You're absolutely right. Um, tale as old as time, true as it can be, barely even friends. Then somebody bends unexpectedly, just a little change, small to say the least. Both a little scared, neither one prepared. Beauty and the Beast. They were right. the, the Beauty and the Beast. And mm-hmm. uh, you, what, a, what a combination. And the fans still talk about it. I, I think that like there's never been another woman in the wrestling industry, period, like Ms. Elizabeth. I mean, I, I honestly think that she had something so unique. Uh, like if you think of like, because now we are men now and I'm going to speak as a man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be coy and shy or like timid about, you know, speaking as a man about woman. Uh, and, and the thing is that Miss Elizabeth was beautiful, but by the same token, she brought something to the table, um, which I think like she brought this sexiness that didn't need, uh, to, to like put her breasts out on display. She didn't need to, to, uh, you know, put her butt out there. Uh, she would just wear some really classy dresses and walk really elegantly and very, 
Like there was almost like a, an airiness to the way that she came to the ring. And I remember that one SummerSlam when she uh, was at 88, when she uh, finally like just dropped that the, the part of her dress and then she showed the leg on the ring apron to Ted DiBiase and to, and to uh, Andre. And that was the first time that she ever did anything that could be considered in any way, shape or form like uh, scandalous to any degree. And um, she like, I don't even think that she even needed to do that. That was the whole thing. Like she was so she was so beautiful in her presentation and in her look and in the way that she carried herself that no other girl in the industry could touch her. Would you agree? I agree with you 100 percent. She was feminine without being slutty. Yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, she was. She was like, she was the like. She had a mystique to her. That's like the one thing that I think that a lot of girls they they really miss out on these days is that they're all put. They're putting everything out on display, and they're giving it all away. And the thing is that there's no mystique to that anymore. And and if if, if I had a girl like like Miss Elizabeth with just you know if she had the confidence to carry herself in that way with that kind of mystique i think that i'd be sold i would be wow. sold oh yeah you you would buy your ticket you'd be the first one on the ringside oh heck i'd be, <laughs> i'd be the first one to try to to try to take her out on a date if i wasn't married I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> well that's why a lot of her posters were laminated <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the double entendre for, for all of you young ones out there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I wasted all that time holding up her poster with just one hand. <laughs> yeah, <geez. laughs> oh, jeez. You got to tape it to the ball. <laughs> oh, it's but, crazy. So, but, but I'll tell you what, I was. there's going to be a documentary of the Macho Man coming up in April, uh, because the Viceland one was so successful. But, um, so there's another one, of course. Uh -huh. And I don't know if this will get on the cutting room floor. They said, they said, well, what happened with Miss Elizabeth and Randy? What was the reason for the blah, blah, the divorce? Yeah. And I said, the story's the same. Boy meets girl. Boy marries girl. Girl hires divorce lawyer. Takes boy to cleaners. Girl dies of overdose. Boy dies of heart attack. Story's the same. Names and faces are different. And mm. nobody ever learns. Mm. That is the tragedy right there. That's for sure. But boy, they sure had a run, didn't they? Well, that, was a, that was amazing. I mean, for the, for the time that it lasted, that was really amazing. By the way, Lanny, you, you weren't there anymore at the end. I mean, it's just because uh, we're touching on Randy here. There was that one story from 1992. Um, and that was SummerSlam. That was in England when uh, is Macho against uh, the Ultimate Warrior. And the, the story goes that before the match went on, uh, Jim Helwig says to Vince McMahon that it's double the money or then I'm walking or I'm not going out, whatever it was. And then Vince agreed to whatever that it was on pay-per-view. You got to go out there. And then as soon as he came back from, after the match, Helwig, Vince said, you're fired. Get out of here. Was do you remember this, or you weren't there anymore, right? I wasn't there, but that's what I heard. And yeah. um, also, um, you know, when I inducted my brother into the 2015 um, Wrestling Hall of Fame in WWE, yeah, 
I met Jim's wife and two daughters. So I made my mind up never to say anything bad about the kid's father. They've suffered yeah. enough. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a, I, I see a big mud puddle that I could jump in. And I yeah. would like to avoid it because they didn't deserve that. You know, right. this is like uh, they're just innocent girls. And mm-hmm. I hope, I hope they, uh, you know, they have a good life. And, um, you know, but I see, I just, um, I'm, I have a daughter and I've got one and a half grandsons. So, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking, I don't want to go down in history as a guy that puts salt in the wound, you know. Exactly. But, Unfortunately, um, there are people who um, are unscrupulous, okay, and they're mm-hmm. not team players. And um, you know, you can't deal with these people. Yeah, that's. I guess that's the way it goes. I mean, you're either you know, it's like once again we thought we talked about Bill Watts in the beginning, and uh, Bill had this saying that. I have a philosophy that you're either on my team that, that, that either, either you fit on my team or you don't. It's kind of like a football coach. You either, you either fit on the team or you don't. That's it's either you're on or you're off. So, I mean, it takes a team player in this business. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what I, when I saw Bill Watson, I hadn't seen him in years. I ran to him and I, and you know, the poor guy was barely cognizant like he used to be. Right. And yeah. uh, I, he, I told him who I was, and he says, "I, I remember you," and uh, mm-hmm. that we had a nice talk. And you know, with half his brain, trust me, it's a better conversation than some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, Lanny. So in the in this, I guess this new landscape that's kind of unfolding right now. I mean, you talked about. Uh, Jay Lethal and how he's quite a great wrestler. I, mean, I know he's he's also getting into the veteran category at the moment too, and and that the young bucks are quite respectable dudes as well. Um, but is there somebody that you you see as kind of the breakout future star that maybe hasn't, uh, I guess, gotten to that um, big spotlight just yet, or is there somebody that you you think is going to be like the next big draw? We were talking about. Who is the draw right now for pro wrestling in the world? And I guess we couldn't really come up with uh, with anybody actually at the moment that uh, that we thought really really fit that mold of Hulk Hogan and uh, Randy Savage and Ric Flair and that kind of thing, The Rock and Stone Cold, you know. But do you, is there somebody that you see that could fill those shoes these days? Well. You know, you hear different things and everything, but from what I've seen, um, I am amazed that uh, Chris Jericho has stayed so relevant by reinventing himself. And uh, mm. I saw, you know, I think he and Kenny Omega are doing some big business, you know, and, um, you know, I hear also people knock them, but see, people used to knock everybody, and there's some jealousy involved. So, um, I just think that uh, the fans, um, it's like a variety show. You know, you, you see the uh, daring young man on the flying trapeze, but you also have to look at the, uh, the, the 500-pound woman, you know, or the man with three heads or whatever he's got. Yeah. You know, and they, all, they all make the show a little better, okay? So, um, 
I think uh, I saw some Kenny Omega movies that looked pretty interesting. And uh, there's a lot of great talent out there. I just wish they would uh, not micromanage them and get them all cookie cutter and let their personalities breathe a little so we can have the next Roddy Piper. Mm, yeah. Well, I tell you, Lanny, I mean, the thing is that the one thing that's really missing as we close up shop this week here, uh, uh, and one of these last questions for you would be that, like, the absence of heels in modern-day wrestling, if there's one thing that's missing that I find is there's there's all these guys that, and like, like, put it this way, everyone's a hyper-athlete nowadays. Everyone's a hell of an athlete. Uh, but everybody's doing the cool things. And, like, it's almost as if no one wants to be the chicken shit heel anymore. No one wants to be the traditional heel that takes away from the match, that more or less, like, withholds things from the viewer. That uh, And that's the thing that makes them mad. So, like, what do you think? Is, is there anybody on the landscape right now that you would rank as a true heel? Somebody that people would want to see get their ass handed to them? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I don't have an interesting answer, but I'll give it some thought. And if I'm, if I'm ever back on your show, I will, uh, I'll study for it and uh, come up with something. <laughs> um, but I would say, I would just say that, uh, like Paul Heyman, you know, there's a lot of people that would like to see him stripped naked and have stuff shoved up his ass. Right. <laughs> But then that, I mean, Paul Heyman still, I think that he represents more of like, like, okay, well, not quite old school, but more like something akin or similar to the old school, because I mean, Paul Heyman is, is more old school nowadays than, than most people, but he's not a wrestler. He's just a manager. So like out of the wrestlers, I'd like to know who, I think there's one guy personally, there's, and he's a newer guy. I, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is MJF. I have heard of him. I've never seen him. He's a hell of a promo. I mean, th this guy just knows how to get under your skin. And actually, he studied the old school. He's really, really studied uh, how the old, older guys like got under people's skin and uh, just understanding that you don't need to do all the flippy floppy shit and you don't need to do, the, to do the high spots. What you need to do is you need to manipulate people's emotions. And that's what he does. Wow. Yeah. I have to take a look at that. Absolutely. Okay, Lanny, it's been a hell of a time talking to you here on this uh, episode of Shooting the Shizat this week. Is there is there anything that you'd like to say here in closing? Well, I just um, I just signed up with a company called Cameo. Oh Cameo. yeah, right. Cameo. Yeah, just, okay. Yes, definitely. Cameo and uh, celeb celeb vid. Uh, celeb vid and cameo. So right. uh, check out Lanny Popple, and um, I think I made a little poem on the. Uh, I, I said something like, uh, "Let me see." I'm getting a little senile. Um, once I was the <laughs> once I was the genius, full of glory and renown. Now I'm almost 65, without my cap and gown. Then I said something like, um, "My name is Lanny Popple." Let me make this crystal clear. If you've got 50 bucks, I'll tell you what you'll want to hear. Whatever I said, I don't know. There you go. But uh, <laughs> that's, 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 gonna be a lot of, that's another uh, 
another passive income uh, streamlined for me. And uh, I just, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed this interview so much because you guys um, actually are in the business. So, you know what I mean? It didn't uh, feel like I was talking to a Mizark. So, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's really important because the thing is, I mean, I've been around for 25 years too. I hope I don't sound like a Mizark. No, no. As a matter of fact, that's why it was. So, that's why. Uh, that's why it was so interesting to me. It was actually fun for me to do. And uh, if you ever need me again, just don't hesitate. All right. Thank you so much, Lanny. One of the most well-spoken men in wrestling. I've always said that you got a great voice. You should. You know what you should be doing nowadays for passive income. By the way, do what I do: voiceovers. Well, if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. There you go. Okay, Lanny, God bless you, and uh, we'll catch you again. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Skip is the oldest sports supplement brand out of Europe since the 1970s. Engineered by professors, doctors, and scientists at Sweden's leading medical university, Karolinska Institute, Skip products are pharmaceutical grade, meaning that they are the highest quality available on the market today. Meaning they work. If you're after results, you wouldn't put low-octane gas in a turbocharged high-end sports car engine, would you? Neither would you put junk-quality supplements into your body as an athlete. All Skip products are first tested amongst top athletes to ensure their efficiency. Choose the best. Skip Nutrition. That's skip.fi. S-K-I-P dot F-I. Estrada Creative Helsinki. Your brand and story with the strength of modern marketing. Social media gets your brand and message in your audience's hands, and your story with the boost of marketing and videography is your strongest means of persuasion. That's where Estrada Creative Helsinki gets involved. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Estrada Creative Helsinki. Marco Simonen offers photography and video production for business and marketing. In addition, editorial and portrait work welcome. For more, see marcosimonen.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-S-I-M-O-N-E-N.com. All right, that was Lanny Poffo, the genius, one of the legendary wrestlers from the WWF era in the 1980s. And uh, Lanny, who is now turning 65 this year. And Dylan, how'd you like that interview? That's right. Oh, I loved it. I, I wish we I, we got to have him back because I want to be in our studio. Because <laughs> uh, this, even though, I mean, we got the uh, the gift of Skype and the, the internet and everything like that, it's still, um, I mean, uh, being in the studio and having, having that kind of uh, environment there, maybe we can get him to come to Finland. You can book him for Slam. This is the plan now. We're making the yeah. master plan. Book him right. for Slam. We'll get him physically there in our studio and we'll do another... We'll do like a five-hour, six-hour interview, and we'll just shoot uh-huh. the shiz at for real. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's my goal. Uh, it's, it sounds like a good plan. But uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a hell of a shoot in the shiz at this week. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. And uh, next week, I believe that uh, we're going to be covering some more. Actually, when is when is SummerSlam? By the way, Dylan, do you remember? SummerSlam was it next? Jeez, oh, I mean. I've- it, it could very well be. I mean, like I've been on this 
uh, Revolution Best Tour now for a, what seems to me like a year, but it's only been a week. <laughs> so I'm really out of touch here, but uh, I got we'll check it out. And uh, there's always wrestling going on. I mean, that all all out is coming up at the end of the month. So I mean, uh, there's there's got to be things going on. So we're guaranteed to be talking about something interesting next week. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah, I think actually SummerSlam, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be next weekend on Sunday. So um, this coming weekend, once again, yeah, we could do the the pre-show, the the pre yeah the pre-show we could do maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. It's good. Well, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much once again. Follow us on social media on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find us. At shooting the shiz at that's S H O O T I N T H E S H I Z Z A T. Shooting the shiz at, and you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, the Podbean Network. That's podbean.com. This has been the Rebel Starbuck and Dylan Broda with you th- this week with Lanny Poffo, the genius. We will catch you next week. Goodbye, everybody.